I, uh, I get to be on both sides, that side of the keyboard and this side of the keyboard. Thank you. Um, for two weeks in a row. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, pardon me while I drink some water throughout the morning. But one of the reasons that I love preaching is, well, I've read the Bible a couple times through, a bunch of times. Um, and not, not just because... I got a Bible minor in my college, or not just because, uh, well, I'm a pastor, so I have to do it. It's something that I started doing um, because I loved it. It's kind of weird how that happens. When you fall in love with something, you, you want to spend more time with it. And that's what the Word of God became to me, um, even as a, as a teenager, even a young teenager. Um, and then I thought that God and I had this pretty cool relationship um, where... He was doing pr some pretty cool things in me, and I was talking to people about how to become a Christian, and they would become a Christian, and um, I learned that it's not because of my fancy words, because I don't have fancy words. Um, I can do some fancy things, but uh, it's not my words that convert somebody to Christianity. Um, that's the power of God doing it. So when I saw that God was doing things through me, I'm like, well, then I need more God so we can do more things. And the more time I spent with God, the more I felt uh, I, I developed that relationship as you would with a spouse as you would with a friend, as you would with a child. Um, and so I stand before you not as a perfect Christian, not as a perfect pastor. Um, a perfect husband, yes. And my wife tells me that all the time. But I'm uh, pretty sure I made that joke last week. But um, no, there are, there are imperfections in me. Um, I lose my temper. Uh, I won't go into the list of things. Um, but here's what we are as Christians. Not just me but anyone who has crossed over from darkness to light. Again, nothing with the people over here, but last week we talked about this is darkness, and in darkness there's sin and there's death. And we have to have Jesus to help us cross this barrier to go from darkness into his light. So this morning, my wife, um, at her suggestion, we sang the song, Into Marvelous Light We're Running, because we're, we're, we're leaving what's behind and we're pressing on toward Jesus. That is the goal of a Christian. Now, when you first cross that line, you're going to be a, what we call a baby Christian, somebody who needs milk, somebody who needs coddled, who needs um, cared for, and, and gen gently directed toward which way they should go. And as you grow up, as you are a baby, and as you become a toddler as a Christian, as you become more mature as a Christian, you different things start going on in your life. Your, your, your life starts to look a little different. And that's a good thing. It might not look good as compared to the world, but it's a good thing because we're looking more like Christ. And the, more the, cl the closer we are to Christ, the more his light shines on us, and the more people can see that there's a change in our lives. So let me tell you that if you are a Christian, and you've made that cross from dark over into life, you are this. And we read this last week. I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, it's probably quicker if you go from the back because 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John, Jude, Revelation, that's the end of the Bible. So like five, six, seven books from the back. I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to soak this in because, man, this is, some, this is something that you can hold on to for the rest of your life. You can pass it on to your children, and they can pass it on to their children, and it will be true. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
You are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Man, if you woke up every morning and that greeted you, that would empower you for whatever you had to do that whole day. It really would. Especially if you put weight into those words. That you yourself are a person belonging to God. That you've got a job to do. Declare his praises who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wonderful light. Now one of the things that we are, we just mentioned, the, the chosen priesthood, a royal, royal priesthood, a holy nation, of people belonging to God. There are a couple things that we have. Let me tell you, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is something that we have. We have a home in heaven because Jesus is preparing it for us. Isn't that good news? That's, that's wonderful news, and it could be good news to somebody who doesn't have a home here on earth. Who's going to tell them? Those who have been called out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We have a heavenly father. We have a, a God who looks on us as children and says, I created you, I brought you into this world, and, and I'm going to keep you in this world because I love you. I extend my love to you. I extend all of my being to you. My love, my compassion, my forgiveness, my unity. And because we are his children, that makes brothers and sisters in Christ. So then we become what we call a family. And then Paul talks about how we as a church become, we're not just brothers and sisters, but we, we're a body of Christ. That some people are the mouthpieces, or they're preaching, or and some people are the ears, and some people are the hands, and some are the feet. We can't all be the same thing, but we have a whole body that creates one body of Christ. And churches around the world are meeting just this morning saying the same thing, that we are the body of Christ and we have a heavenly Father and that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Him, in, in this relationship that we have, God bestows upon us a special, very special gift called the Holy Spirit. Nothing freaky, nothing scary. We call it the Holy Ghost and I think we kind of got away from that ghost word and went to Spirit because apparently that's better. But we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's, as we know, one of the trinity. I'm going to try not to use awesome big words. But God, in three persons, blessed trinity, the Holy Spirit. And what he does is he gives us his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Holy Spirit gives us his gifts. Gifts of preaching, of teaching, of understanding, and of wisdom. And there's, there's a whole slew of spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you once you become a Christian. And those gifts are used in our lives, in our spheres of influences, to point to God. The Holy Spirit is also, and I mentioned this, a home of heaven, home in heaven. He's a down payment. Do you know what Jesus did? He promised the Holy Spirit then the Holy Spirit came as an answer to that promise. He kept his promise. He said, now to his disciples and the people following, listen, I'm here now, but I'm going to go up to heaven. And when I go, I'm going to send you something. Do you know what that something is? It's not necessarily a home. It's not going to be money. 
It's not going to be something that you can hold on to that's, that's going to be gold or silver that's going to decay and, and waste away. And then sometime a piece of bread is going to be worth more than a bag of gold. But I'm going to send you something that is, will never lose anything, and that is the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you this down payment to say, listen, you might not see me, but you will experience the Holy Spirit in your life as a down payment knowing that I kept my promise then and I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back. And since you have the Holy Spirit, you know that my words are true. So when you see somebody living in the Spirit where, where there's forgiveness when there shouldn't be or, or love when there's, there's a, in a world of hate, you know that they're living through the Spirit and that the Spirit promises that Jesus will come back. So now, when we talk about I'm not talking about the world anymore today. I'm going to reference it, but that was kind of yesterday, last week, where there was this part or this part, right? The world or the baby Christians and, and the Christians pointing to Christ, okay? So we're going to leave the world behind. Now I'm going to talk to y'all Christians. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in your mind, if you're a Christian, raise your hand. In your mind. Okay. So now you have either raise your hand or not raise your hand. If you did not raise your hand, there's a podcast from last week. Check that out. It's a little of a joke. Okay. <clears throat> if you did raise your hand in your mind, let's talk. Because, man, is there a lot of words for those who call us Christians. Strong words, loving words, deep words, and deeper words. Because there's a lot of warnings. There's a lot of... Hmm, chiseling that needs to go on in our lives as Christians. In my life, in your life, we're not perfect. This side of heaven, nobody will be. But there are a couple hints that the apostles and that the preachers and that other uh, podcast pastors might have. And let me talk to you about those. Jesus talks and, and uh, the apostles talk about warnings against being worldly, being tied to the world and yet having already crossed over as a Christian. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. Now, as far as the New Testament goes, that's kind of at the beginning. There's the four Gospels, then Acts and Romans, then you get to Corinthians. So in my, ba my, in my Bible, it's maybe about, I don't know, 100 pages back or so. Depending on the size of your font. Right now I can read this, so I'm going to keep it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, okay... The book of Corinthians is called Corinthians, and there's two of them, so there's a first and a second. And Paul is writing to the church that lives in Corinth. So they call it the first Corinthians. Makes sense, right? Now we understand the, the book a little bit, that Paul's writing it to a church, and he starts, well, yelling at them. First Corinthians chapter 6, let's look at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he's, it, what he's doing is he's pulling on veins and, 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 and poking at people and saying, hey, that, that wickedness that you used to experience, that you, you should have off of your life, whoever is living in that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a nice list of people who are not going to be in the kingdom of God. 
So let's not be like them. Amen? Let's not have any of that wickedness in our lives. And verse 11 says, And that is what some of you were. Past tense. That means there's a future tense. That means there's a present that's different. That you were, but you were washed. Church, you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not because you're listening to my words. Not because you, you decided to sing. Not because you were able to clap. Not because of anything other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I will read that verse again, and please let it sink in to your mind and in your heart, because you can replace you, the word you with your name. Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's continue in the First Corinthians, but back a little bit. Chapter 5, verse 9. He's, he's telling you, uh, again, this is what the world looks like, but let's not be like that. I've, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I've written you in my letter to not associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, okay, let's stop there. Don't read on. No, cheaters. Don't, don't read ahead. What did, the, what did the Bible just say? Don't entertain relationships with people who are sexually immoral. Okay, now if we stopped there, in my Bible there's a dash. Anyone have a dash after that? What does the dash mean? There's something else, right? This is funny because the church has taken this as been, don't associate with the people who are sexually immoral. If they're adulterers or if they're homosexual, don't associate them because the Bible just said, don't do that, right? And I'm going to stand on the word of God and I'm going to live my life and disassociate myself and not have any connection with them because the Bible just said, don't have any recollection. Don't even spend time with them. No, that's not what it says. Look at verse 10. Not at all meeting the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, I think this is kind of funny. In that case, you would have to leave the world. So G Paul is not saying don't associate with them because if you had to do that, you wouldn't be in the world. You, you would be like not on planet Earth. You'd be like little alien somewhere. I don't know where, where you'd be. So as a church, guess what we are going to be? We're going to be rubbing elbows with tax collectors and sinners and people who, who have committed adultery or have lied or have murdered or have broken the speed limit or have disciplined their kids pretty strongly. I'm just, no. um, or, the, or the people who, are, who practice homosexuality. You're going to be in them. You're going to be in, in, their, in, their, in the same room with them. You're going to be at the same table. You're going to be at the same workplace with them. Bible doesn't say don't associate with them. Let's see. Verse 11, but now I'm writing you not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. So that's talking about not the world stuff, but those who have crossed the lines and these people. The ones who said, I have been saved by Jesus Christ and I'm going to take my body and go prostitute myself this way. Paul is saying, don't associate with them because that's not right. You should not have any sexual immorality in you. And if you do, don't associate with them. He's talking to the church like I'm talking to the church this morning, right? Not the world, not who you're going to rub elbows with. But he's saying, listen, 
You need to get rid of all this sexual immorality. You need to get rid of the sin, of the drunkenness, of the... Um, they talk also about using your mouth and, and kind words and, and as opposed to using words and language that the, that the world would use. Get rid of that filth because you have been sanctified. You have been washed. You have been cleaned and set apart holy for Jesus and for his work. So, there's a warning about being worldly. Don't be a Christian and have a worldly, worldly life. Are you going to be in the world? Yes, but don't live like it. Now, last week, I tried to coddle the, the baby Christians, those who have been living in, in this Christian relationship, you know, just for a little bit. Um, I'm going to be talking about those people who are a little bit more over here, more on the uh, mature Christian side, because that's when the real chiseling comes. Because sometimes, well, have you ever seen an ice cube where it doesn't, where it shouldn't be? Like, like it's in a hot car inside of like a thermos or something, and you go in the store and you come back and there's an ice cube, and you're thinking, man, the car inside is like 115 degrees or whatever, and, and, but you open this and, and there's this ice cube. Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. But when you're standing in, in the presence of Jesus so long, and you have this, this, this burden of sin that you're carrying, and you're supposed to be so close to Jesus, he's like, get rid of that. That's, that, that doesn't become you. That doesn't look like anything you should be a part of. Let it go. Get off it. Don't spend your time with it. So there's a warning about being not just worldly, but there's a warning about being babies. Let's go to 1 Corinthians still in uh, chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, good, so we call it Corinthians. So he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So what he's seeing in, in life, in, in the church, is this group of believers who have spent time in the church, spent time with brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're carrying along the world. They, they've got these strong attachments, and, and this is what they're living like. And are you really bickering and arguing about that kind of stuff? Let that go. Get that off of you. That should not become of you. That would be like having a whole church, uh, a, a, a church body, who, where no members read the Bible at all. That would be like, hmm, is that a church? Or is that just a collection of people coming to hear, I don't know, awesome music? Yeah, that's it. Awesome preaching. I don't know. So you can have the kids in the nursery and not have to deal with them for an hour. Amen. No, that's not it. Continue in chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Do you think God's building has... As a wing of sin. This is my glorious heaven, but over here is the sin. There's going to be no sin in heaven. So we're going to be working as Christians to let go of that sin, let Jesus deal with that, and let it not be a part of our lives. 
If you look at Hebrews, and Pastor Rex sent the email out uh, earlier this week about um, this exact same section of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 5, it's a little bit further back in the, in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Well, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Any of us, anyone else slow to learn? I have been slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, and what he's talking about in our, in our illustration, you should be teachers over here. Closer to Christ, more light in you, less sin on, in your life. But here's what's going on. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Which group of people needed milk? The baby Christians. So these old Christians are being babies and just needing spiritual milk. And, and the writer of Hebrews, which is likely to be Luke, some think it's Paul, we won't know until we get to heaven. But he's saying, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But sol- let me stop there. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So, basically Paul, or Luke, is saying, once you know Jesus, once you've experienced the forgiveness, then you're not going to even want that stuff. You're not even going to have a taste for it. Because you've, you've tasted and seen what Jesus is. And who God is. And that is something that can wake us up and bring us joy in the midst of trials. So we've kind of set the boundary of, of where the baby Christian is. But did you know that there's also another boundary over here? There's one more boundary that I want to talk about. Don't be too religious. What? Don't be too religious. Don't, don't be like the Pharisees that Jesus talked to all the, all the time in the Bible. Don't be like the teachers of the law. Am I saying don't be a teacher? No. I'm saying don't be like these people who made it very plain that Jesus was... Well, let me just say this. Jesus reserved his strongest words for the religious, for the teachers who were standing in the gates supposedly preaching. (laughs) And they're, they're really quite strong words. P.S. Caveat. Uh, Pause. When you come to church, you're going to be able to hear some kind of strong preaching that the word is going to, you're going to be looking at yourself in a mirror and the word's going to say, hey, you shouldn't see this and you see this and you've got to deal with it. Right? So when you come to church, it's not just all, man, I've had a long week. Let me just go and and hear some scripture and some songs and and then I'll be refreshed. No, some of this is going to be like chiseling off. Okay, unpause. You don't want to be like Luke 18, the man on the corner of the Pharisee who says, Oh God, I thank thee because I'm out here on the corner, and I'm going to ad-lib a little bit, because I'm so much greater. I, I, and I am the best. I'm not like that sinner way over there. Because he, he can't even lift his face. But I have been keeping your word all this time. I have been the one who has raised myself up, and here I am, and I'm never going to fall. I did that on purpose. No. Jesus says, don't be like that, fool. Don't be like that. 
be like this guy whose face is in the ground, not worthy, thinking he's not worthy to lift his face to the God who can save him and say, God, I humble myself before you, and you've seen the sin in my life. I've seen the sin, and it's disgusting, and I hate it. But I still got this tie. God, would you help me? Which prayer does the Bible say God answers? The sinner's. The widow's mite. That's a story that Luke tells in chapter 21. The Pharisees go with their big pockets and they take their wallets out. And they say, I'm going to give the, to the church. Uh, that's an actual check. Okay. I'm going to pick that back up. But then the widow, who has nothing, she goes and she humbly submits her money that she has in her possession and gives it to the church. Who does Jesus praise? The one who gave hundreds or thousands or millions? I don't know what he gave. Or the one who gave one? The one who was humble. The widow who gave out of her emptiness. Talking about the words that Jesus said, let's look at Matthew chapter 23. Now, if you take the Old Testament and the New Testament, New Testament's smaller, but the Old Testament's bigger. I guess lots of rules and stuff. Inside the New Testament, once you get there, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew is that first one. So let's turn back a couple pages to Matthew chapter 23. This is called the seven woes, and you know who this is directed to? Not the widow, not the sinner. This is directed to the Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the church in that day. That'd be like somebody coming in here, as if I was going to preach something not biblical, but then saying, hey, um, you are the most conceited, most uh, vile thing uh, in the world because, because I would be trying to lead all of you astray as if I was preaching something different from the Bible. Does that make sense? That would be like somebody, I would be like, the teacher of the law, and Jesus would be coming in saying, you are leading all these people astray. Get out of here. Fortunately, I'm reading what the Bible says, and we're good there. Seven woes. I won't read this all, but this whole chapter is ridiculous. Starting in verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor you will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Is this kind words? Is he like, so I think you shouldn't be doing this? Or, no, he's saying, you hypocrites. You travel over land to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. Wow. Wow. Verse 33, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? So he's talking to the religious people. So we set the boundary for the babies, and now we're Christians, but then you can take, you, you can be too religious. Don't be too religious. Let me give you a quick example. Let's say, let's say the Bible says not to walk on five wooden steps. What do we see here at the front of the stage? Five wooden steps. If Jesus says don't walk on the five wooden steps, am I sinning right now? Am I sinning right now? 
If I'm walking on five wooden steps and the Bible says don't walk on five wooden steps, I would be sinning. I'm not sinning like, oh, up here, up here, but I'm sinning because I'm walking on five wooden steps. Does that make sense? That's our example. Let's deviate from it. Not sinning, sinning. Got it? Okay. So as long as you're here, am I in close proximity? Yes. Am I rubbing elbows with it? Yes. Am I, am I associated with it? Maybe. But I'm not sinning. What the Pharisees did, what the teachers of the law did, said, well, if, uh, <clears throat> if the Bible says stay away from there, I'm not even going to go close. In fact, I'm going to take three paces away from that. <laughs> Look at me. I'm not even close to sinning. I am so good. I'm standing on a chair, praising God of how good I am, that I didn't come three steps. <laughs> you see old Jebediah over there? He went two steps. He's a little bit of a sinner, isn't he? But man, I'm three steps away. <laughs> and they kind of prided, prided, prided? They were proud that they, that they were so far away from the sin that God said, and they made that the place to be. Come on, church, we're going to meet three steps out. Then another denomination said, we're going to be four steps out. And so they made their rules, the, the gospel, and said, you've got to be three, you've got to be four, you've got to be five, so far away from... But on the meanwhile, God said this. So what they did is they took God's word and they added to it, and they made other people believe that their adding was scripture. It's not. Now we know. So that's why Jesus is so upset, because he's, these Pharisees were taking their word and making it gospel truth when it's not. So that's why Jesus reserved such strong language for these teachers of the law because they were leading so many children, so many brothers and sisters in Christ astray. Well, let me talk to you about what a matured Christian does look like. And with this, we're going to close. Because let me tell you something. We discussed this a little bit last week. <clears throat> and how there's going to be like the world, and then we kind of had the Christians, and then we're going to have like uh, the Christ. And so the, the world would be something like, uh, I don't know, let's... If you're under 13, close your ears. The world is damned to hell, yes? Yes. Jesus and God created heaven. Separate things. In the middle, we're progressing from being baby Christians to mature Christians to be more like Christ. So, so we have the world, we have a babe in Christ, we have a mature Christian, and then we have Christ himself. Let's, we can put ourselves in any one of those four columns, but I suggest not Christ himself. Right? Okay. So, while the world is damned, the babe in Christ is unlearning taking off things that shouldn't be a part of them and is leaving the world. Well, the mature Christian is actually practicing living more like Christ. When Christ himself is, he just is. When the world is colored with hate, the baby in Christian tries to love, but the mature Christian loves deeply and overflowing because Christ has poured into him and because Christ is love. In the world, they have a foundation of sand. And then as a baby Christian, you're just starting to learn to build. You've got little Legos in your life. But as a mature Christian, you're building on a stone, on a solid foundation, because Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. In the world, they disobey what the Bible says. As a baby Christian, you're listening, 
but you've got another ear toward the world. A mature Christian obeys the word and then shares the word because Jesus is the word himself. In the world, there's darkness. And then as you cross over, you're shedding that darkness and reflecting more of Jesus' light. As a mature Christian, you live in that light. You don't hunger for that darkness anymore because you spent so much time being in the presence of Jesus, who is the light of the world. When you're in the world, you die in your sin. As a babe in Christ, you, you're dying to your sin. What that means is, I'm going to let sin out of my life. I'm going to cut it off, and it's going to recoil and not be a part of me. But then the mature Christian lives righteously because they've spent so much time with Jesus, who is nothing but righteousness. In the world, you can live in your sin. As a baby in Christ, you can kind of flirt with sin. Oh, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I got drunk at six drinks, so I'm going to have five and a half and a shot. No, too much? All right. They're, they're flirting, right? Well, as a mature Christian, you're going to abstain from any sinful desire. <laughs> Again, we're not all there, right? But as a mature Christian, the Bible says don't get drunk on wine but be full of the Spirit. Paul does tell Timothy to have a glass of wine. I'm not going to argue this. But he says, don't get drunk. Jesus, he did not sin at all. In the world, you have deceit. As a new Christian, your just tendency is to deceive. That's just what happens because we were created and born in sin. But as a mature Christian, you don't deceive. You say, I'm not going to deceive. I'm not going to lie because there's no deceit in Jesus. In the world, you have retaliation and you want to retaliate as a new Christian, don't you? Man, this feels wrong. They wronged me so bad and I want to get them. Mm. And you might and you might not. But as you step more closer to Christ, that desire to retaliate slowly drifts away because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't because I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm getting to know Jesus, and you can hurt me all you want, but I'm got, I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus. And then the world drinks its death. As we talked last week, a baby Christian drinks milk. And this week, we're talking about how we have deeper part of the word where, where you have, you have to work at it. It's kind of like eating a steak. You got your fork and knife. I was advised to not do this, but I wanted to bring my George Foreman. I wanted to bring a steak over here, let it sizzle for that six, seven, eight minutes. I don't like mine done too well, and I was going to take a bite of that steak right here. Now I'm really hungry. You would not have remembered a single word I said all morning, except for that steak. A mature Christian gets into the Word, does it, eats that spiritual meat, because Jesus himself is the bread of life. So then the question becomes, how should we crave that spiritual meat? <laughs> you may remember from last week. First of all, bathe in prayer, man. Spend that time talking to Jesus. Read the Bible. Take this thing. Spend some time with it. Meet with other Christians. Sunday morning. Something going on Sunday night? I think there is something around 7 o'clock. Yeah, take your bulletin. Share your testimony. You know what? I was like that. I see where you're going. I, I wanted to retaliate. I wanted to go to the bars. I wanted to do that. But, 
But look at this alternative. Eternal life, forgiveness, and a love that never ends. <sighs> That's so much better. That's so much better. Share your testimony with your friends, with your coworkers, on, on social media. And then glorify God with your resources. And with this, I'm going to close and invite the worship team up. To glorify God with your resources looks a little like this. There was a family that heard that we would like a drum set for our worship team. They said, well, I will have a check for you. They gave the church a check. And do you see what we have here? These drums were purchased. Um, these are the church's drums. So that Allie, or if she's gone, another drummer can come in and they can keep a beat. And they saw that there was a need. And they said, I'm going to use my resources to bless the church, to bless the worship team. And so Pastor Ben doesn't have to use those sounds on his drum, on his keyboard, because they sound so cheap. Agreed. That's all it is. It's doing what you already know. It's not doing what you know not to do and doing what you know to do. That change doesn't happen overnight. It's got to be God changing us from the inside out. Dear God, would you change us from the inside out? going to be painful at times to grow up and make mature Christian decisions, be in mature Christian places when we have to rub elbows with the world. Lord, let us not give in to that sin. Let us become more like you. Let your light shine on our face so you can change us from the inside out and we can make good decisions to be mature Christians and share what you have done. You've done so much for us in our lives and in this church. Would you continue to do that? And as you do your work here in this city, God, would you use True North? Would you use the people that darken this door? And would you use our ministries to bring you praise? Pray these things in your name.